Man, it's good to be back from vacation. Praise God. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I celebrated my 15-year anniversary. Give it up for that, huh? It was dope. It's dope. Yep. We went to, uh, went to San Antonio. We went to the Bahamas. We went to Tampa. Yes, yes. Praise God. Uh, two of them, well, two of them were speaking engagements that they paid for the family as well. So that's always amazing. Yes, and yes. And they, uh, hopefully I did a good enough job so that they didn't regret that uh, while I was there. But it was just so amazing just to get away. And obviously, you know, when I was uh, away, you know, the Lord put things on my heart for the church. And uh, this is our fourth year as a church. And I remember moving here February 6th of 2013, not knowing a soul and just seeing God do his thing. But as you get older as a church, sometimes you can get out of alignment with what God intends for you as a community. My heart is that we would never get out of alignment for what God wants. You know, uh, the story goes that there was a young man who one day he had just not been looking at the syllabus and someone told him, you know, the final paper is coming up on Monday. He said, what? He said, yeah, you better get cracking on it. And so that weekend, he spends his entire time, one cup of coffee after another, dealing with the fact that he's got this final paper to do. He knew since it's the final, you know, you've got to have everything together. You know, your end notes need to be together. Your grammar needs to be together. Clarity of thought. So he had friend after friend, edit it, check it, spell check, all that stuff. He made sure everything was together. And he thought to himself, my end notes are together, check. My grammar is together, check. My clarity of thought is together, check. Gets it all done, walks in on Monday, hands it to the teacher, slides it to her. Well, the next day, he thinks to himself, did everything I can do, probably got B, A, something like that. And the day, the second day he walked in, uh, got the paper from the teacher. He looked at it. It had a lot of green writing on it. It looked like it was a good paper, but at the very top, it said F. And she was so kind to write some notes about what he had done. And she said, dear sir, it is clear that you gave your best effort on this paper. Your grammar was exquisite. Check. Your end notes were unbelievable. Check. And your clarity of thought, un, uh, I mean, just unmatched. Check. She said, there was just one problem, dear sir. This is the wrong assignment. And you know, she said, she went on to say, next time, spend the same amount of energy in the assignment as, as in finding out the right assignment. Wouldn't it be a shame if we had great teaching at this church? Great worship, great community, but we missed our assignment as a church. God's assignment for his people is to be loving people. That's his assignment. And his mark on us and the expression that he wants to bust out into this world is a people with distinctive type of love. It says in 1 Timothy 1, 
verse 5 in the New American Standard Version. It says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's the goal. That is what we are trying to do with everything that we construct as a church. We are trying to produce in you love, so much so that it would penetrate out into the city and the world would be changed. Jesus, when he was being challenged on all the commandments, they would say, teacher, what is the greatest commandment of them all? And Jesus would say, the greatest commandment is love. In fact, he would go on to say, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. God if you are a Christian here today, God has given you a supernatural capacity to love people. Every one of us. The power of the Holy Spirit is inside you. You have a distinctive power in how you can treat people because the God of heaven and earth dwells inside of you. And that distinction is to mark the church so powerfully we are to be known for our love. And this church, in the book of 1 Corinthians, lost that imagery and lost that as its picture. There's many ways you could define love. Uh, C.S. Lewis has an entire book dedicated to it. Uh, Jonathan Edwards has a, a corpus of thought on it. But if you were to put it in buckets, love pretty much spells out in three ways. There is reciprocal love, and that's when you love something or someone because they're lovely. You know, you're walking into the train and there's a person singing and they have some music and you are blown away because they're singing your song and they're killing it. And you're sitting there saying to yourself, this person is so good, I'm going to pay attention because I got to pay rent so I don't have that much money. But I'm going to pay attention this entire time. That's so amazing. Man, that's so awesome. And you're drawn to that which is beautiful and that which is lovely. And it's reciprocating something because you're offering something that's giving you something. That's reciprocal love. Benevolent love is different because benevolent love is the kind of love when you love something or someone in need of love. And if you were in the subway and you were to see someone and there they are huddled up in a corner with their child, cold, hungry, and you think to yourself, I need to give them something. They can't offer me anything, but I need to give them something from my heart. That would be benevolent love. But when you think of this idea of being radical, you know they, you know they never use the word radical Christian? You ever notice that? Like, if they're talking about terrorism, they'll say radical Islam, but they never say radical Christian. See, a radical Christian takes Christian ideas so seriously that they go to the extreme. An extreme belief of Jesus' teaching. And radical love, therefore, 
is when you love something or someone that is unworthy of love or undeserving of love. And the distinction of the church is to live out this idea amongst people that aren't giving us anything, that aren't reciprocating anything, and sometimes even our, our enemy. The Bible says in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. And God pursued us. And his radical love went after us when we were ignoring him, rejecting him, and rebelling against him. Radical love. Radical love. I was blown away by this. Uh, A friend of mine told me about a shooter at Trader Joe's in Los Angeles. She called up her friends. She said, pray for me. Pray for me. There is an open shooter at this Trader Joe's. She said, pray for the shooter too. Because even if I die, I pray he would experience the love of Jesus. That's radical. That's the kind of thought process that is different and distinct. And I think that I wonder if God is pleased with the the church, not just our church, the church, that the distinction we would have is love, a radical kind of love that is different. When you look in the Roman Empire, many of the medical, much of medical assistance that came in the Roman Empire came about because of Christians. There were plagues that were happening, and these plagues would cause Romans to cast aside their family and friends and run away. And Christians actually stayed in many of the towns and cared for the sick, even to the point where they caught the plague themselves. The Christian church did not spread because there was some profound teacher that sold books and filled Roman stadiums. The Christian church didn't spread because there was this dynamic worship dude that made people blow their minds and they were just like, oh man, I need to put that on repeat. The Christian church didn't grow because there was this personality or it didn't grow because there was eloquence. The Christian church was there because people were persecuting this small sect of people and their love kept penetrating the hearts of those people. That's what's unique. That's distinct about the church. That's what God's calling us to. And when you use the word love, like when you think about loving people and you only think about people that are, you know, the people that you, 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 you have on your friends list or the people that, you, that are most comforting to you, and you only use the word love when it's comfortable, that's not God's love. God's love is uncomfortable. God's love comes in the midst of tension. God's love comes in the midst of rejection. God's love comes in the midst of enemies. God's love comes in the midst of conflict. God's love comes, that's why the Bible says love is patient. Because God's love is most profound in the midst of tension and conflict, not peace. And maybe we're just like everybody else. And so Jesus sets us up in this thought 
And Paul wants this love of God to spread. And so Paul is a a church planner, the Apostle Paul. And he starts this little community called Corinth. Now, we'll get into uh, some other details about the city of Corinth. But he comes into the city just like my wife and I came into the city February 6th of 2013, not knowing anybody. And when he comes into the city, what he would normally do is he would go to the Jews. He would go into the synagogue. And it says in Acts chapter 18 that he went initially to the Jews and they rejected him. And they thought of him as, they thought really of Christianity as a, essentially like a Jewish sect, a heretical sect. And so they rejected Paul. But Paul comes into the city anyhow and after being rejected by the Jews, decides to go to the Gentiles. And so it says in Acts chapter 18, verses 7 through 8, he left there, that being Paul, left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Now, worshiper of God essentially means like a seeker. Some of you may use this terminology spiritual. That is someone that is not accustomed to religious ideas, but still believes and perceives that God is real and they want to get to know him more. Paul ends up meeting Titius Justice. He's seeking out people. But it says this, whose house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, verse 8, the leader of the synagogue, look, believed in the Lord. There's so much the writer left out here. I mean, how did that all happen? All we know is the brother went and found out Titius, and all of a sudden Christmas is there, and people are coming to the Lord. But notice this. Titius is somebody that doesn't really get into religion. Christmas is the highest idea of religion. He's the leader of the synagogue. But Paul is pursuing both of them. And the Bible goes on to say, look here, it says that Crispus is this leader of the synagogue. He believes in the Lord, along with his entire household. And because of that, many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. Now, I don't have any time to get into this. This is a commercial break. But do you notice that there was someone who was religious and irreligious, both coming into the same community? And Paul was open to both? And then, and, and it says, it didn't say many of the Jews believe. This says many of the Corinthians believe. You see, the city starts to draw near to a community when they feel that this is a space, this is a space that I, in my irreligious or religious sense, I can come in and be accepted. All right, I can't. I, I feel myself wanting to go and create a whole other sermon right there, and I can't. I got no time for that. All right. So, so thank you. Don't, don't do that. That's, that's, that gets us in trouble. All right. We are, we are paying rent. Praise you, Lord. All right. Um, stewardship. Many of the Corinthians believed. All right. All right. So uh, verse 12 and 13. Now, it says, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the tribunal. This man, they said, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Now, two things you have to understand. One, Gallio is, it says, the proconsul, which is essentially the governor of the area. 
And the governor, what he would do is he would just judge different issues happening in a particular region. But when he would be governing, he's governing based upon Roman law, not Jewish law. So it was odd that they brought this man, Paul, in front of Gallio, the Roman governor, because he doesn't deal in Jewish law, he deals in Roman law. So it's one thing to say, go to the government and say, my wife, I want to get a divorce from my wife. That's, that's like law. That's, that's earthly law. But it's another thing to go to the, you know, the judge and say, my wife isn't praying for me. And they'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, we don't deal with that kind of stuff, right? So that's the awkwardness. So Galileo is like, what do you, I don't do, I don't, it's, what, is, what are you talking about again? So it's awkward for them that he's even bringing this up. But this entire thing was put together by a guy named Sosthenes. Yeah, but you, this, that's a hot name back then. Don't, don't hate on it. It's biblical. Sosthenes conjured up this idea to take Paul to a court of law. He, they thought his offense was so bad that we'll bring him to court. And this is what happens. And this is, this is in the Bible. This is crazy. So in verse 14, it says, as Paul was about to open his mouth, Paul's about to defend himself, Gallio, the proconsul, said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or a serious crime, it'd be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. But if these are questions about words, names, Jesus, and your own law, See to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of such things. And then he said, and then it says, so he drove them from the tribunal, meaning he kicked them out of the courtroom. <laughs> and it says, and they all seized Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue. So Sosthenes had replaced Crispus. And he was now the new leader. And these people were so incensed and embarrassed that they beat Sosthenes down. And the Bible says they beat him in front of the tribunal. Now, Gallio, the proconsul, this is where he should step in. <laughs> this is Gallio's moment. I understand Ro Jewish law. Roman law, I'm sure... There is some Roman law that says don't beat people down in the courtroom, praise God. And in front of him, it says, but none of these things matter to Gallio. <laughs> now, here's the truth. It don't say this in the Bible. This is James T. Robinson III. You know, you can just use this or not, praise God. But Gallio was probably like, you had it coming. You brought him here, and you tried to expose him, and now you're exposed. What would you do if you were Paul in that moment? Now, I mean, what I'm, what I'm saying is the person tried to trap you, embarrass you, expose you. Now they're getting the fat beat down. What would you do? You, you, would, you would be, yeah, now some of you, because I can feel the depth of your salvation. Some of you will be like, 
no, don't, 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 don't kick him. Don't, don't do that. Like some of you would kind of put your hand out and say, stop, stop. Right? But regardless of what you would do, you cannot deny that there is a side of us that loves to drink in the intoxicating feeling of retribution. We, we love to glory and drink in it because when proud people are humbled, there's something inside of us that says, you deserve that. You see what you got? You see what they got, right? You see what they got? You heard what happened to Sosthenes? <laughs> yeah, he deserved it. And, and part of us can't help ourselves because in our culture that we're in now, we, there's something about us driven to expose people. And, and some people need to be exposed. Don't get me wrong. There are people who do underhanded things and they need exposure. But there's another thing about always putting people on blast too. Like there's something about always looking for people's weaknesses in order to gain an advantage with them and then screenshotting, retweeting, always putting different things about them in the open. And you only stir up the enmity between you and them. And Jesus speaks to this. Now, um, this idea about this guy named Sosthenes, I just need you to put a pin in your mind mentally about that. And we just got to talk about Jesus real quick. Because Jesus said, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And when Jesus said that, when he said, you have heard it was said, he was actually speaking about other rabbis and the way that they would teach. And what they would teach is what many of us learned growing up. You know, you, your friends, you, you give to them because you know they're going to give to you. But the people that are going to, in any way, be against you, you tolerate them maybe, but you avoid them, you reject them just like they're rejecting you. Treat people the way they treat you. Now, you've probably never heard that phrase, but you hear it in your soul. Treat people the way they treat you. Treat people the way they treat you. Treat people the way they treat you. And so in the same way we can redistribute love, we can redistribute hate. And Jesus goes on to say, but I tell you. And now Jesus, the great rabbi, has exalted himself in a way above the other rabbis. And in many ways, he's exalting himself above the other thought patterns, and the other ways that we have learned. The Bible says that Jesus was one with authority in the way he taught. I tell you, I'm telling you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now notice that Jesus immediately after he begins to say, love your enemy, says pray for them. Because you will not always and rarely will you ever have 
an enemy become a friend. But you can always extend to them the gift of intercession. No matter how much enmity and how much strife there is. And the great movements in this country and abroad were started based out of the idea that I will not treat you the way you're treating me. Whether you're looking at uh, the civil rights movement here in this country or the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa post-apartheid, it was not based on how you treat me. It is based upon how God has treated me. That's how I will express myself in this world. So prayer is always accessible to anyone, even our enemy. Jesus goes on to say in verse 45 that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And then Jesus says something really powerful. He says in verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? He didn't say you're not going to get a reward. He's just like, but what would it really get you? Now, you can get into this whole idea of God rewarding us, but it's as if God is saying, I'm looking for people that act like me, that express themselves like me, and I'm willing to reward a higher reward for those that would love their enemy because he goes on to say, if you love those who love you, what reward will get you? He says, and not even the tax collectors doing that. Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Everybody's doing that. Everybody's treating people the way they treat them. What's different? What's different than the church and a bar? What's different than the church and your coworkers? Some of you came out of families you wish you weren't in. Well, what's different than the church and your family if we just treat people the way they treat us? What reward is that? What difference does that make? How is that distinctive? How are you any different than the world? How are we any different than the world? If we just redistribute rage every day, how are we any different? And so, One of the highest ideals is that God turns enemies into friends. That's what God does. That's what he did for us. When we were at our worst, God loved us. That's why we can know when when we are still, we do something crazy or we we, we fall off the band, we fall off the wagon and we're, we're not who we thought we were. We can know God loves me at my worst. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. God God wants us to love enemies. He clearly loves me. And when when our enmity was at our worst, God loved me. And it's one of the highest expressions of God's love, one of the most radical expressions of God's love, when we would love those who we have the most tension with. Well, man, we got to get back to this guy Sosthenes. I mean, I don't want you to lose the idea of this brother. I can only preach on one verse um, here in 1 Corinthians because it's jam-packed. Like sometimes you'll read a verse and you won't see the power in it. And Paul, when he wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, this is three years later after this moment happened in Acts chapter 18. 
And he writes this letter to the Corinthian church. And in chapter 1 of verse 1, it reads like this. Paul, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother. (laughs) Our brother. What happened? I mean, we ain't got no chapter or verses on that. What happened? There's no other Sosthenes in the Bible. What happened? This isn't a different dude. What happened? Somewhere, maybe, like the Good Samaritan, he approached him and said, listen, man, do you mind if I I just bind up your wounds? I know that the people you came here with wanted to attack me. But what if I cared for you in the midst of all this craziness? What if I just cared for you? Man, maybe while he was getting beat down, he he told them to stop. We don't know. But he didn't let that moment stop him from offering him the love of God. And I love what he did here. Because what he said was Sosthenes, remember him, how he tried to hate on me? Yeah. No, he didn't do any of that. He said, Sosthenes, our brother, our brother. This is our brother now. You ever go to a place you know you're not supposed to go to, but you have a friend that's willing to protect you when you go there? No, I'm just saying, have you ever, you ever gone to some place like that? Like a really, really hoodie hood place. Like, like, I'm not supposed to be here, but I'm with him, and I feel better that I'm here. Like, because I didn't know every place has a ghetto. I didn't know that. I just thought New York has ghettos. And I went to Mississippi. Mississippi's hood. I mean, just certain parts. And I went, and I was there. My cousin was like, and this is, this is like late 80s when gangs had really not, like, been big in the city. So I didn't know anything about it. And my cousin was like, hey, man, don't wear red or blue. I was like, red or blue? talking about wear whatever colors you want he was like bruh listen and I didn't I had all types of colors in my bag so I was gonna be wearing some red and blue that day so I was just walking he said look just go places with me and he would tell people this is my cousin we were walking places I felt so protected so amazing but what he wanted to do was make sure I was covered and what if we were to be so radically impressed by the love of God that we didn't seek to expose people so quickly, but we sought to cover them. Now, I'm not saying a cover-up. I mean, some people need to be exposed. Some patterns of sin need to be exposed. Don't, Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying that Sometimes when there's enmity and tension, we create a rhythm in our community where when we think of that person, that's the only way that we describe, define them, as opposed to covering them. What if we move from an exposure culture to a cover culture, where we begin to cover up that thing that happened, where we don't have to always repackage it? The Bible says, In Proverbs 10 and 12, hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all offenses. 
who knows who knows what happened in this text? I mean, it's so crazy. But, you know, I think we could be like that. Like, I, guess, I think we, as a church, and I'm not even saying that we're not loving. I think, I think we are a loving church. I mean, I love y'all, and y'all love me, I think, praise God. But I'm just saying, like, couldn't we be more radical? Like, like couldn't we just extend ourselves more to the people around us. And so, you know, as elders, we we thought, what's ways that we could start creating action with our love? Now, everyone has a negative perception of money lines, and you should, praise God, because those are crazy. But think of it this way, though. What if we, instead of having a money line where we're getting money from people. What if we had a money line where we were offering money to people? Like a $10 money line and a $20 money line, and we offered money to people. Yeah. What we should do is in the $10 money line, we'll give out $10 for benevolent love. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you... There are people that you're surrounded with that need help. Now, don't use the $10 on you. I know you need benevolent love too and you got to pay rent. But I'm just saying, there are people we're surrounded by that wouldn't it be awesome if we just, you know, got, got them a cup of coffee and donuts or we went and spent time with a person who we knew was hurting and needed compassion? person who's feeling lonely and we went to see them and we offered them something? Just through the, the love of God and compassion, we are pouring the love of God on them? Then there's this line over here. Oof, my God. This is radical. This is a $20 line. And this is where, you know, that person that's been talking about you and you know, you are just like, forget them. I can't stand them. Like, every time I see them. But what if, the, what if you took them out to lunch? Like, what if, what if you did something radical? Like, you began to quench that tension that you have with that person that you've had for years. And you just try. There's a, a guy that I, I, I always have this tension with. He's in my building. And he always wants to get into a debate with me. I just want to have a conversation. He wants to get into a debate. And the problem is he's kind of immune to facts, so it's, it's really hard to have a conversation with him. And I've decided to avoid him and tolerate him. And as I was preparing this message, I said, you know, Lord, I want to be, I want to live this out. And so I've decided that I'm going to move close to him. And I may not become best friends with him or anything, but I don't want to let the tension define our relationship as far as it depends on me. Next week, somebody say it with me, next week, next week. Next week, we are going to do a reverse offering. And at the end of service, instead of, Instead of communion, we're going to have $10 right here. 
stack of $10 bills. And over here, we'll have $20 bills. And what we want for you this week is to spend time praying about who you could bless with the love of God. Who, you, who, could, who could I bless? Who could I bless? And this is the great thing. God, God wants you to bless them. Before the foundation of the world, the Lord knew that we would do this. There is someone God has made available for you to bless. And you have supernatural capacity to bless people. And there's a part of you that was just like, whoa. But you've got it. And, you know, maybe... Maybe you're afraid, and for some, you know, you don't want to have a deep conversation, and there might be other elements there. I don't know, but try God and see what he does. (laughs) Um, I've noticed that I've tried to love people, and I, I didn't really see anything changing, And moreover, I really didn't see myself approaching people. I didn't feel myself really trying to love people the way I feel God's called us to. Um, But I noticed something when I was uh, in Tampa. Tampa is hot, praise God. I don't know if you know that. Tampa is, the heat is offensive. It's like a whole nother level of heat. And you walk out and the humidity, humidity, humidity is a thing. Good gosh. It's like you're sucking down heat and it's just horrible. So we, you know, we, were, we, we walked out, we're there, and we got an Airbnb. And first night was great. Air was cool and we were all in there. And second night, it started getting hot in there. We were just like, man. So we called up the owner of the Airbnb. We said, um, hey, the air, what's up? Like, can y'all come check it? Woman came and checked it. She said, I don't know what to do. So she got this guy. He comes over. The guy was older guy. He'd been doing this for years. And he says, oh, yeah, here's the deal. Um, air conditioner is fine. Ain't nothing wrong with the air conditioner. He said, it's just too hot. <laughs> I was like, I, I'm sorry. He said, no, no, I don't think you get it. This is a low-power AC in a hot box house. I was like, I don't understand. He says, you don't have enough power to change the atmosphere. He said, that's the problem. He said, the AC is fine. You're doing everything right. You just don't have enough power to change the atmosphere. He says, this, this little AC is not going to change the heat in this house. You need to replace what you've been using, put something more powerful there, and this whole room will feel chilly. But you've got to replace the power that you've been using. And maybe much of the tension that we have gotten used to in some of our relationships isn't that you didn't pray or you didn't say nice things, but we were, the power we were depending on sometimes was the power of our personality or the power of friendship or the power of our past, but we need to rely on the power of God 
to change people and things. That's radical. Fully relying on the power of God to change people. And that means your prayer life has got to get rearranged. And, and your prayer list can't be just, you know, I mean, I, some, I learn a lot about people when I ask them prayer requests. You know, and it's just like, pray for my grandma. She's sick. Grandma been sick. Mm, grandma, ooh, God, we just love grandma. And I do love grandma. But we got to start praying for sickness and health and our walk with God. And we have got to pray for those that God has placed in our life where we have sensed tension. And we cannot change people, but you can change the atmosphere. You can change the atmosphere. In that relationship, you can change it. Oh, yes, you can. Because they can feel the heat on you when they're around you. Your energy says everything about what you've been thinking about when you're around them. And you can completely change the temperature of that relationship as far as it depends on you by reconfiguring your prayer life to add your enemy to your prayer list and saturate them in prayer. And so I'm not kidding when I say next week we are going to have money lines. That, somebody came up to me last service and they were like, yo, I love the analogy. That wasn't an analogy. That we... We are doing that. So I want that to be clear. I wasn't, I, I wasn't clear. Praise God. It's my first time back in a few weeks. I'm sorry. There will be $10 right here. And there will be $20 right here. And I'm going to preach another message on love. And there will be new people like, I didn't know. And I'm like, it's okay. Just take 10 or 20. You know, and that's what we're going to do. And God's got you thinking about somebody right now. And what are we going to do? Be like everybody else? We're just going to be a big family network of people we like already? Or are we going to treat people like God treated us? That's radical. Would you stand with me? I wonder if you'd say this with me. God, fill my heart with your love so I can love Sosthenes. God, fill my heart with your love so I can love Sosthenes. Father, in the name of Jesus, fill us with your love, God. Fill us with your love, God, so we can love the Sosthenes in our life. Fill us with your love, Jesus. Fill us with your love, God. Remind us of your goodness. 
make us a distinctive people. Remind us of your patience and your kindness. The Bible says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. In other words, the reason why we ran to God because we knew he's always kind. Even when I've ignored you, you ran to me. Holy Spirit, I pray for those names we've already thought about. And I pray, God, that as next week we hand out money to bless this city. I pray in the power of the name of Jesus. God, we repent of using our own power to heal relationships, God. And we call upon the power of Jesus that while he was on the cross and having a spear dug into his side, while he was on the cross, as he's asphyxiating with blood and his lungs are filling up with blood and he's holding himself up by the nails and the wood is going against his back. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. God, help me see the humanness of my enemy. Help me be reminded that there's a story behind their story. There's a reason why they are the way they are. Help me to be reminded that there's more going on in their life than just our relationship. And that I should not define people by just how I've been interacting with them. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, can we call upon your power? And just as we should not go into war without a weapon, let us not go and try to heal a relationship without being equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit, God. We call upon you, God. Change us, God and use us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.